Father, we thank you for life itself. We thank you for this day that you've given us. Thank you, Father, for having us here this morning in a place where we can worship you and seek to honor you with our lives, to seek community with other believers, and to uh, just enjoy the fellowship of your spirit with us this morning. I ask, Father, that you would uh, use this psalm to further our walks with you, to deepen our understanding of who you are and what you've done for us and how you desire us to walk with you in faith. So we give you this time now in Christ's name. Amen. Psalm 32. Let me read the whole psalm to you. Then we're going to go back and look at uh, some parts of it. Psalm 32. Again, it's on page 462 in your... uh, in the Pew Bible. David writes this, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Don't be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. If you remember nothing else this morning of what I say, here's what I want you to take away. This is what I want you to to go home with. The big idea, the main point, and it's simply this. Unconfessed sin destroys Did you hear that? Unconfessed sin destroys. It depletes. It saps energy from one. It harms. It drains. Remember this, if nothing else. Unconfessed sin destroys. How are you doing with sin in your life? That's normally not a good cocktail party subject or or question to ask, but it's appropriate to ask in a church setting where a group have come gathered to worship a holy and forgiving God. So how are you doing handling sin in your life? Are you keeping short accounts with God? Are you dealing with your sin as you become aware of it? Or do you kind of settle 
on it for a while and let it, let it fester a little bit before you deal with it. How are you doing handling sin in your life? Do you think we'd have healthier marriages if spouses apologized, asked for forgiveness, and then forgave each other? I would say yes. Would work environments be sweeter if conflicts were addressed, wrongdoing acknowledged, and then settled with apologies? Yes. Would I have greater energy to love God and my neighbor if I dealt with my sin by confessing it on a regular basis rather than allowing guilt and shame to build up in my heart? I would do a better job if I confess my sin more regularly. I believe so, and David asks, David gives us in this psalm the math to prove it. He first discusses the reality of sin. Look back now at that psalm, that passage. Look what he says in the first two verses. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. These two verses answer two important questions that help me understand man's condition and what God has done with that condition or what God has done for us in light of that condition. First two, the first question of the two is this. David answers the question, what is sin? Look at the three words he uses there, there uh, underlined, I believe, in the, in the screen behind me. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Three different synonyms, all dealing with the issue of man's depravity, man's sin. The first one, transgression, <clears throat> deals with defying authority. I want to be the God of my life would be one way to uh, express tra a transgression. It's defying authority, mainly defying God's authority in my life. I want to be the one who makes the decisions for myself. No one else would do that. That's a, considered a transgression or an example of a transgression. The second word he uses, whose sin is covered. And that word sin has the nuance of missing the mark. It's an archery term. Back in the days of the Greeks when an archery contest was held and an archer threw or flung an arrow into the, toward a bullseye, toward a, a, a goal, if the arrow missed the bullseye, the judge would yell out the word sin, meaning you missed the bullseye, you missed the mark. So the idea of missing the mark is that I don't, I don't do what God wants me to do. I've missed the mark of living the way he would want me to live. That's what the biblical term sin means. But then David uses another word to talk about man's depravity. He says this, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no Iniquity, fancy word, we, never, we don't use it today in our culture, 21st century, but it has the idea of being crooked or distorted. So if I distort the truth by telling a, a white lie or I don't tell everything that I should have told in that situation, I'm distorting the truth, I'm committing an iniquity, the Bible would say. 
It has to do with distorting or making crooked that which was straight. God's word, God's will is straight, and I tend to make it crooked. And that would be the term iniquity that one would use if they wanted to identify what I was, was doing. Three words, all defining what sin is. Basically, it's sin is violating God's will. It's just doing what God would not have us do or not doing what God would have us do. <clears throat> Secondly, the second question that uh, David asks in this question or answers in this first two verses is what has God what has God done to put sin away? What has God done? In, how has God dealt with sin? Would be a way, another way to say it. And he answers that question in the same two verses by using three other words or phrases. He says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. The three words are forgiven, covered, and counts no or accounts for no iniquity. The first one, forgiven. We know what that means. It means a burden being lifted. Forgiveness is offered. Uh, a resolve of the offense in that person who is doing the resolving. I forgive you for what you've done. David recognizes that God has provided forgiveness, and he's provided forgiveness of my sin through the second word, blessed, uh, whose sin is covered. This idea of covering has to do with the, a blood sacrifice that covers the sins. It goes back to the Old Testament when the Israelites would sacrifice a male lamb on the altar, and as they sacrificed that lamb, slain the lamb, blood was spilled on the altar, and the, and, and the Jews saw that the blood spilt over the altar was a covering for their transgression, for their sin, for their iniquity. And so when David says, blessed is the man whose sins are covered, he's saying, my sin has been covered, has been dealt with by the, the sacrifice of this lamb, the, the, the of, of innocent, flawless lamb, representing uh, perfection, representing God's justice and God's holiness, dealing with my iniquity, my transgression, my sin. And then he goes on, he says this, the, blessed is the man whom, against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. The Lord counts no iniquity. It's a, it's a, another word would be imputes no iniquity. In other words, he counts, the sin is not counted against that person. Sin is it's, it's a bookkeeping term where, the, where you think of a ledger with my sin listed on that ledger, and it would be long, and that ledger now has been, the, the sin on that ledger has now been transferred over to the lamb who was slain on my behalf, and my ledger is now clean because the lamb has paid for the, has, has been sacrificed to pay for the sin. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. The lamb was sacrificed for the sins of the people, and the, and the uh, Jews saw that God took the, their sin on that ledger and transferred it over to the, the lamb, and they were seen as clean. They were seen as 
no longer in sin because the sin had been dealt with by, by the sacrifice of the lamb. David then addresses the consequences of unconfessed sin. If we know now what sin is and what God has done to handle sin or to deal with sin, David now discusses what happens to those who do not confess their sin to God, harbor it in their hearts. Look what he says in verse 3. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. And David starts that listing of what he's experiencing with the simple phrase, when I kept silent about my sin. When I didn't confess my sin. When I lived with unconfessed sin in my life. His bones wasted away. Physical health was taken away from him. Groaning all day long, he says, emotional health was drained from him because of unconfessed sin in his life. His hand, your hand was heavy upon me. A soulish illness, a soulish draining, if you will, of vitality because of unconfessed sin that David has harbored in his heart. Spurgeon says this, God's hand is very helpful when it uplifts, but it is awful when it presses down. And David was experiencing God pressing down on his heart because he was harboring sin in his life. And he says, my strength was sapped. My strength was drained. My strength was depleted because I did not confess my sin. By the way, what David is referring to here is his sin of committing adultery with Bathsheba and then orchestrating the murder of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, to try to start a cover-up for what he had done wrong. And he harbored those sins in his heart, didn't confess them, and he was experiencing the physical, the emotional, the mental, the relational drainage from him because he let sin go unconfessed in his life. But then the psalmist, goes, David goes on, he, he turns and he does, he does the only activity that can reverse the destructive patterns that were going on in his heart. And he says this, look at verse 5, Then, key word, then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. He confesses his sin. A more, a more detailed rendering of that confession is found in Psalm 51, written by David, written at some time after he committed adultery, murder, and he was confronted by Nathan, a friend, a prophet, who told him that he was the guy that had done that. He says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. David confesses his sin, acknowledges what he had done was wrong, 
thanks God for his forgiveness and turns from that sin and goes in, the, in a new direction. You can call it the AT&T of confessing. Acknowledge, thanks, and turn. And that's what David does, and his confession of his sin brings new life into his body, brings new emotional stability. His confession of his sin brings him back into a soulish, uh, healthy state, and he's back in communion once again with God. Look what he says in verse, uh, starting in verse 6, he begins to hit on the blessings of confessing our sin, and his particularly, he says this, he says, therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. David's experiencing, once again, fellowship, heart-to-heart fellowship with God. He's talking with God. He's seeking to listen to God, where before he confessed his sin, he probably wanted very little to do in terms of praying to God because he, had, he was harboring stuff in his heart and he needed to get rid of that stuff. He was back in fellowship with God. But look at also verse 7. You are my hiding place. You'll protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. David had a sense of God's covering over him again. God's protecting of him. God's leading of him. God's leading his life. Another consequence, another result of David confessing his sin was a sense of God's leadership once again over his life. But then it goes on. He says this in verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do you see that other consequence, result of confessed sin? A sense of God's counsel, a sense of God, I can come to you now and you can guide me. You can help me through this life, through these decisions, through these relationships. God, you're going to instruct me. You're going to teach me. You're going to counsel me. Again, a result, a consequence of David confessing his sin before God and feeling the cleansing of forgiveness in his life. The, uh, so three things, fellowship, protection, and counsel, all results of David confessing his sin. Unconfessed sin was destroying him. It was draining him. It was depleting him of physical energy, mental energy, spiritual connection with God. When he confessed his sin, it was a 180, turned around, and he uh, began to experience fellowship once again, God's protection over his life, a sense that God was, was, had his back, and then counsel. God, you can lead me. You can guide me. I can now talk to you about my life and what's going on in my life. So once again, how are you doing in terms of handling the sin or dealing with the sin in your life? And I'm asking myself the same question. How am I doing? Am I keeping short accounts with God? 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The if is confessing sin. The promise is he'll forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How am I doing with that? How are you doing with confessing of sin? It's critical to living the Christian life. The gospel is the beautiful story of Christ not only dying for the penalty of sin in my life, which was eternal separation from him, but Christ died so that I might experience 
the fellowship with God ongoing day by day by day that I might experience the forgiveness of my sins on a regular basis. My sin has been covered by Christ's death on the cross. He has died for all of my sin. But as I live my life and I have those blips, more blips than I would care to admit, when I blow it, I bark at Cindy or I'm more concerned with what people think of me than what God thinks of me or I say something that's not, uh, that's not true, whatever the moment might be in my life, if I don't deal with that sin in my life, I will start to put up a wall between me and God. I'll break some of that fellowship with God that I enjoy so much when I have no unconfessed sin in my life. I heard an illustration one time that made sense to me dealing with uh, confessing sin and the importance of dealing with sin in one's life. And the illustration is that of uh, breathing. Physically, we breathe by exhaling the impure. I think it's carbon dioxide. You scientists can confer that to be true or not. And then we inhale oxygen. So I'm releasing or exhaling the impure, and then I'm inhaling oxygen into my lungs, and that's part of the healthy process that God has designed in the human body to keep the body healthy, to keep it going. I, I take in the healthy stuff, and I exhale the unhealthy stuff. Think of that in terms of your relationship with God. Think of it in terms of spiritual breathing, where I, when I become aware of an issue in my life, an attitude, it might be a, a bad word, uh, you know, a, a word against someone, it might be an action that I'm guilty of, and I sin, I need to exhale, I need to confess that sin to God. Say, God, would you forgive me for that? I was so proud at that moment just then, and that, that was so dishonoring of you. Would you forgive me of that sin? But then I breathe in that, that fullness of that relationship with Christ. Lord, thank you for forgiving my sin. Thank you. Would you give me the strength right now? Would you retake the throne of my life and lead me step by step now. So I'm inhaling the pure after I've exhaled or confessed the impure. For a simple person like me, that helped me to understand this idea of confessing sin and asking God once again to, to take the throne of my life, to, to guide my life, to be the captain of my life. Whereas a few minutes before that, I had captained my own life for that while, and, and, it, and it took me down a uh, verbal bad road, an activity bad road, or a, an attitude bad road, or a sinful attitude. So spiritual breathing, think of that today, I challenge you, as you, as you uh, ruminate on the fact that unconfessed sin destroys. And the only way I can deal with that potential destruction in my life, physically, mentally, spiritually, soulishly, if I, is, is if I deal with that sin, I spiritually breathe. Lord, forgive me for that attitude. That was wrong. Forgive me for barking at Cindy just now. I, that was so bad. Thank you for forgiving my sin. Take control of my life right now, and I'm turning away from that now. Does that make sense? Spiritual breathing is critical to maintaining a healthy, moment-by-moment -moment walk with Christ. <clears throat> so how's... How's it going? Will you leave here today more determined to deal with the sin in your life? 
I'm leaving more determined because I had to prepare this. I have to do what I'm teaching on. But I'm more excited and more determined to deal moment by moment with the sin in my life, confessing it and then asking God once again to, to fill me and to, lie, and to guide my life. David went through a hard time. He sinned, and he didn't deal with it right away, and it festered, and it cost him in other ways. David's an example of what not to do early on, but then he's an example of how he came around and did confess his sin. And he talks about the benefits, the, the fellowship, and the uh, protection, and the counsel. That's what I wanted to share this morning. That's what I think Psalm 32 is teaching us. And we're getting out of Psalm 32 is unconfessed sin destroys. Confessing my sin breeds life back into my, to my soul. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for this simple instruction about dealing with sin in our lives. Thank you, Father, that... Uh, you love us, you have forgiven us all of our sins, but just like a child goes to a father or mother and says, I'm sorry for what I just did, he never lost his sonship, but he regained the fellowship once again with his parents. And I, I pray, Father, you would teach us to live as a child of yours where day by day, moment by moment, we're experiencing fellowship with you because we're dealing with sin in our lives, confessing it to you turning away from it, and asking you to give us the strength to lead us uh, again away from that sin. Thank you, Father, in Christ's name. Amen.